Attention, please. Eastern Airlines Flight 19, now ready for departure. Welcome aboard the Walt Disney World Express Monorail. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we're entering the vacation kingdom of the world. There's enough land here to hold all of the ideas and plans we could possibly imagine. We call it Epcot. Will be our experimental prototype city of tomorrow. Welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast. Taking you back to the vacation kingdom of the world, the way it was, and the way it is in your memories. All right, welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast, the official podcast of the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society. This is episode 62, Thunder in Paradise, where we'll be taking you back to the early 90s with Terry Hulk Hogan and Thunder in Paradise as it was filmed at Walt Disney World. I'm your host, Todd McCartney, and sitting in with me for this episode, as always, is Mr. Hal Bowers coming in from Tampa Bay. How are you going? How are you doing today, Hal? Aloha. I am doing well. I'm so excited that we're doing this episode this show has been one of my guilty pleasures since it originally aired so <laughs> this is the fulfillment of a lifelong dream now there you go and you sent me the tapes and that's kind of what sparked our interest to get this thing really really going so i know i feel transferred. i feel like i may have created a monster because before i remember we, i would bring this up as a topic to potentially do and you're yeah. like no i'm not interested in this at all <laughs> but then when i sent you the tapes like we're on you all of a sudden were over this like more excitedly than i was and, <laughs> is and, that true is that how this went todd denied it for years well no, i didn't deny i i remember watching the show but as once he sent me the tapes i'm like all right there's just two i didn't realize how much good stuff there was to oh talk about, it's so. so like an underwater prison yeah there might be <laughs> oh so speaking of from ohio tonight how you doing tonight jt i'm good i feel like i'm in a under I don't know. I'm here. I don't have anything f- topical to talk about. So it's, you know, we're doing well. I'm excited. <laughs> doing, well, doing well. And coming in from Philadelphia, Mr. Brian P. Miles. How are you doing tonight, Brian? Greetings and salutations, Todd and the boys. How are you? All right. Well, it's time for corrections and comments. We're just going to blend that this month with uh, JT. You've got some uh, viewer mail. I think that kind of has some corrections and comments built into it. So we're just going to jump right into that and go from there. What do we got? Cool. Uh, good month. Uh, some a lot of stuff related to recent episodes. So if you're not somebody uh, that's that's listened to the last few episodes, a lot of these relate to that. So episode um, about alien encounter, um, some Tomorrowland stuff, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. First one's from Shane here. He says, and I I'm gonna just I think debunk this uh, right away, but you guys can tell me if I'm wrong. Says, hey JT, I just listened to your Alien Encounter Part One podcast, and can you confirm with me that Tyra Banks was always the alien host, or was Naomi Campbell there briefly before Tyra? Because the first time I went on the attraction, I remember seeing Naomi Campbell, and then the next time it was Tyra Banks. Just curious if I have that correct. I I mean I guess it's possible, but I don't know. I've searched for Naomi Campbell, Disney, Naomi Campbell, Alien Encounter, all those things, and nothing really came up on IMDb or anything. Now, Tyra yeah, Banks So, so does, Jerry, Re- Jerry Reese talks about hiring Tyra Banks, <clears throat> and he has a, actually a lot of stories about her. So that, that sequence was actually shot one time, and it was just used even in the second version. So... No, it was it was always Tyra Banks. Now there is a uh, there is an, an internet rumor longstanding that her voice was dubbed over. Mm. Um, but I 
I I actually don't know. I, I don't know if I believe that or not. We'll we'll have to when we finally do get a chance to talk to Jerry Reese, have to talk about it because uh it sounds like her voice when I listen to her. You know, she's she went on to do uh all kinds of talk shows and things, so there's Well alright, that's uh Shane, thank you uh for that one. Next up, uh, Miranda wrote us with some new ephemera. We're always uh, excited to get the ephemera samples, the scans, the photos. Uh, she sent us a little brochure. Welcome to the vacation, the Walt Disney World Vacation Kingdom. Uh, it looks like it's from about 1984. Has some pretty good stuff in it. I like the. Um, if I, I'm trying to, the best example I can think of is there's one that says World Passports, Guided Tours, Transportation. River Country and Discovery Island. There's little icons. There, I mean, they're literally the shape of iPhone or normal square icons, but they almost look like the the people you'd see on like a you know a, a fitness trail or something like that. The little stick figure type people. So, it's a pretty cool little brochure. I hadn't seen it before. We'll definitely put that in the show notes. So, thank you, Miranda. Uh, it says it's signed Miranda, but the email name says Randy. So, who may, Miranda or Randy, whoever that may be. Okay, next up, uh, Daniel, he wrote us and said uh, he thinks of the contemporary uh, every day at work. Though talking, the he showed us two pictures, basically saying the talking elevator. Uh, he, I think this is, uh, you guys can confirm this, you saw this. This is actually a picture of the talking elevator, right? It is. It is a picture of the talking elevator, of the interior of it, the control panel. Dan's office building has the same talking elevator as the contemporary. That's... That's what he was telling us and sent us pictures to show us that, which was kind of neat. Except his, his, it isn't Mickey Mouse talking. I hope. <laughs> it wasn't Mickey Mouse talking there either. In the original, Mickey talks now. Oh, yeah, yeah, he yeah. He does? Yes. Yes, oh, he does. I didn't know it was still a talking Mickey, Mickey jumps in and says a thing or two on the elevator. Oh, okay. In the old one, it sounded like an 8-bit video game. It was mm-hmm. like, very much like if you were playing, I don't know, what was that talking video game you were talking about the mm-hmm. other day, JT? Not Contra, but like one oh, of the... what we were ta- uh, we were talking about Operation Wolf. Yes, that's the one I sent just the link to. It might have been the same guy. You yeah. never know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't want to like get yelled at by people. Uh, some people emailed us after the episode where we talked about the talking elevators and talking cars and said, you know, Mickey talks on the elevator now. At which point it sparked. Yes, I have heard Mickey talk on the elevator. I don't know if it's every elevator in the contemporary or if it's just the one that takes you up to the top of the world or if it's a, but there's definitely Mickey Mouse vocals in the elevator that are on some of the elevators there. Hmm. Technology. Yeah. Thanks for the email, Daniel. We'll take those throw photos and throw them in our um, pictorial souvenir there. I think the one uh, can go in the contemporary one successfully and uh, work well. So, Next one here, this is from Jared. Jared wrote us um, kind of a nice little touching story. I'm not going to read it all because it's a, it's a long email, but um, long story short, Jared uh, had the uh, pleasure of joining us at, uh, looks like, Retro Magic, mm-hmm. um, and he came down, met his mom and dad down there. Um, dad's a big history buff. Really uh, enjoyed the uh, the legacy left Walt behind. Uh, dad, his dad was also a uh, the reason they went to Disney every year. And Dad did what we all do um, as dads or as, you know, just uh, Disney fans. He took a lot of photos. And uh, so Jared has a lot of photos of that. And uh, Jared just, or uh, he said, you know, tragically, Dad suddenly passed two months later after Retro Magic. So it was kind of like one of their last big hurrahs they got to uh, do this this uh, trip and event with. So 
Um, glad we could uh, accommodate you guys, Jared. Create some more memories uh, before the the is passing. So sorry to hear that, but uh, we appreciate the email there. Yeah, it was very touching. I I, re- mm-hmm. I replied to him. I remember when we got it, and uh, it was a nice story. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely didn't do it justice, Jared. Apologies, but uh, paraphrasing. Next email's from Gary. We're uh, going back to Tomorrowland. Uh, He says he just finished listening to uh, the Tomorrowland episode. In in the episode, we mentioned the area just past Dream Flight. It looked like it was forgotten. Uh, He snapped this shot about two years before the whole changeover took place. Um, and, And it's interesting. You can just... See, it looks a little bit different, almost like a test area of those pylons that kind of come up, uh, you know, for the the people mover track and all that. So we'll share this. It's super different looking and, and definitely kind of unique. Um, says he hopes he finds a home in our archive. So I'm not sure if you guys saw this, but it's definitely uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it looks like they extended the <clears throat> the I guess this was before they built a gift shop onto it. I mm-hmm. never quite figured it out because yeah. It did. I did notice. You know, you used to walk off of if you had wings, and then you'd go right outside. You know, there was there was as soon as you got off the the exit, um, not speed ramp, speed speed walk, you would kind of just walk outside. And then I, I don't know if it's because of inclement weather or, or what, but they actually built like a covering, uh, so at least you could walk back out to Tomorrowland. You know, uh, covered up, and and that's what this picture is. And then I guess later. They actually kind of built around that and kind of extended the gift shop, so that way you could buy your Buzz Lightyear merchandise when you came off of the ride. So it's very, nice. very cool little space right there, and, and it's kind of tucked off in the side, so you never really see it. So I'm, I'm glad he took pictures of it. Yeah, he said you can tell it was a test is much less detailed and flatter that one than what went into production. So um, thanks for that, Gary. We'll throw that in the uh, the Tomorrowland gallery and also the show notes because. Um, it's got a, such a 90s feel to it, that purpley, pinkish color and all that. So that's fun. Okay. Next up, here's Joe Barlow. Joe's back. His, uh, his title states Disney Turnstile Inspector. Says he had a question about the Disney radio loops. We just posted that episode as well. Um, he wasn't sure. And I remember somebody telling this. We were kind of discussing this earlier. Where was the transmitter? Did they have one, their own transmitter? Were they sharing the station? And then my question was, how did you, how did it know when you were pulling in or pulling out? Because I mean, was it two separate stations you tuned to, coming in, coming out? There were two separate stations. There it is. Yeah, there were two different, two different numbers on your AM radio dial, right? It's a dial. Um, You know, people have said, oh, it was in the castle. I, I find that one hard to believe because it would. You know, that's they're omnidirectional, perfect. right? They're not. That's just too. I mean, I get it's, it's too cliche, point, and it's not tall. Yeah, it's not yeah. tall enough. Um, so I, I would, I would guess that it would be something, either for the contemporary or just a low frequency. Tra- I mean, a, a low power transmitter somewhere, somewhere along World Drive, um, so that you picked it up because the contemporary is a far distance from you know I four. So you're gonna need something down down around you Epcot. Would, you would, would guess. you would pick it up. Kind of at the beginning of when you would drive down World Drive, right? Yeah, it's like they had the power perfectly tuned. Right, it would and really then it would in. kind of. I, what I cannot remember is if you could get it from the Magic Kingdom. I remember, I believe, listening to the exit one from the Epcot parking lot, but I cannot mm-hmm. remember if I could hear it from the Magic Kingdom so, parking so lot. So one of the things I read said there was a separate one for Epcot. 
the one thing I can think about too is where they might be broadcasting from, which would make a lot of sense. Uh, and I'd have to go back in in time with our our satellite imagery here. But in the 1990s, the spot was u- being used. It's over where the um, the wastewater treatment plant is, and where they had uh, the mouse has been parked for a number of for for a while uh, when they moved that. So there might have been, that might have been more of an industrial area there where they could have been broadcasting from. That's kind of central, right, to to where it is. So. Who knows? Now, since it was futuristic and way advanced, was Epcot message streaming in FM? Or was they, <laughs> did they still stick with AM? It, it was always AM. Yeah. Okay. It was always and AM. Then, yeah, because the, the FCC regulation is for a low-powered AM radio station of, I don't remember, it's 100 watts or whatever. Watts, yeah. There's some level that underneath that they were permitted to do it. Uh, because it doesn't interfere with broader, uh, you know, more powerful broadcasting bands. Uh, but there's a there's a there's a regulation that allows a low powered radio station for like just your neighborhood or something like that. Last question on this: Do we have a starting year when this happened? Was this Epcot time or was it? In, I, in I remember the 70s? that from the very beginning. Yeah, yeah the, oh, the the original okay. station, you know, was early on with the rest of the park. Um, uh, the original radio station was 10:30 a.m. and as you'd come onto property, it would say, "Please tune your radio to 10:30 a.m." And they added when Epcot Center came online, they added 8:10 a.m. so that the station extended to cover most of Epcot's parking lot. Mm. So mm. it would have not been powerful enough to cover because that would have been the woods when the radio yep. station originally went on the air. Right. So they did add a second one. So it was 10.30, and what was the other one? 10.30 and 8.10. a.m. And then there was the bonus radio station. Uh, They had 12.00 a.m. That gave you all the information you needed to detox from a day at the Magic Kingdom. I'm reading this from Parkeology. And 900... (laughs) Use the word detox? Yeah. And 900 a.m. helped you re-enter the present after the breathtaking future of Epcot. So those were the exit radio stations. Mm. Uh, 1200 from Magic Kingdom, 900 from Epcot, and then you had 1030 at the Magic Kingdom going in and uh, 810 at Epcot. I'm sure I'm sure there's some FCC record somewhere that we can. That's what I was thinking about. Look up. How, how far are we going to go down this? Well, we very far. Do. Dude, this is this is our show. Of course, yeah, we're going to exactly. go all the way. Right in the wheel well. We're, we're, we're going to start our own low powered radio station in the parking lot so people can tune back in. I can't there's tell you how many times I have thought about when I was back in the 90s, when I was in my prankster mode, actually buying a small transmitter and driving up a down world drive with like a joke version of that running. How's so that pirate radio station? Oh my gosh. Oh my there's an goodness event, gracious. There's an event idea on your way out. Please tune your radio to this I'm, as you I'm, can hear the how, old loop. I'm heading to Skycraft surplus electronics next week to see if i can <laughs> buy our own little mobile broadcasting station we'll, we'll get a room at the top of the contemporary no we'll get one of the old epcot omnibuses and just uh rig the whole thing up and drive around with a giant antenna beautiful <laughs> we'll be all set well joe uh as always thank you for your message uh you always get us into the deep dives uh so i appreciate that if you'd like to write us podcast at retrowdw.com we uh we check that we do check uh facebook instagram anything like that phone message you can always leave us a phone, phone message, message not, on the retro line dial us on your telephone at 978 71 retro we love getting voicemail messages 
Speaking of social media, um, our last little bonus one here, Brian shared this with me. Um, Toontown Kelly wants to know, after listening to our Tomorrowland episode, this is a tweet at us. Uh, she's intrigued by the AAA Comfort Lounge. Where exactly was it, and are there photos? My recollection is Buzz Lightyear Space Ranger Spin, the current Tomorrowland stage that's outside of Carousel of Progress. Between Buzz Lightyear and Carousel of Progress, that area where the Buzz Lightyear character meets now, standing in you know in between those two rides, yeah. up against that back wall, that that was where the 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 VIP center is but I'm not going to swear by that because I got to go kind of look but I, my recollection is when you're riding over it on the people mover there's like an alcove back there so he's kind of standing in a walkway and yeah. that that walkway originally had the you know like the AAA whatever badging on it and that's where Are it you was. thinking where the remember just recently too they had those cabanas kind of back in I that area? I don't areas? know where the cabanas were because they only lasted like ten days A minute, before they took yeah. it. I you know, but it was back that behind there uh, in that. Yeah, I don't but but that that is my recollection. Uh but I don't have the you know, I'd have to dig. I mean, some of these things I can the minute that I ask, um the yeah, yeah. the we, we worked a, at a... Disney World thing or you know like fifteen cast members oh yeah that's where it was you know was... the uh, I mean what I'm finding here quickly is uh, it was in the early two thousands about around that range um, you know you you buy your tickets through AAA you get a voucher to go to the park yeah it wasn't really a big hit but it was there so but we'll get back to you on that one. Uh, Toontown Kelly, that's, you know, obviously if you send us a tweet, we uh, we totally hit the mark on that one. So, um, But let us know if you have any tweets or anything like that. Just tweet at RetroWDW. And like I said, email. You can do the call. You can uh, send us a direct message. Anything like that to possibly get your question or your memory on the show. All right. Well, times for this month's Audio Rewind. Uh, did you guys get this one? How sent in another good one. Although how I thought it was a little easy, so I... I, I clipped it just a bit just to just oh, to okay fool, okay fool the, to well after everybody. after that outcry of no answers i thought let's bias a little on the other side and make it a little little easier for folks you got a fair not fair number of people and so uh let's take a listen to last month's audio re- all right and we do have a winner congratulations to jason knox and that the answer was do you remember how what you put in nope all right and the answer was Voyage of the Little Mermaid at Hollywood Studios. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. So congratulations to you, uh, Jason. We will uh, get some email out to you and get the prize. That show is uh, remarkable in, in yeah. how long it's been there. But it's fun. Fun little show. So I've got a good prize for this month, gentlemen. Um, how similar to your uh, five-legged goat uh, key change that you did. Um, I took our Lake Buena Vista Historical Society logo. Do I have them here? No, I th- oh, I do. So we've got this nice bag here of the Lake Buena oh, Vista very Historical nice. Society pins. And we also have retro WW pins. We're going to throw that, throw that in along with some other swag and stickers and different things we got. If you know the answer to this month's Audio Rewind. All right. If you think you know the answer to this month's Audio Rewind, send your guesses to contest at retrowdw.com. All correct entries will be entered into a drawing to pick the winner. Have you all of your entries in by November 17th, 2020. 
right, gentlemen, well, it's time for this month's main topic and how we joked out at the beginning. We've been talking about this for a while. You sent me the videotapes. I spent many hours transferring and then enhancing, and I even upscaled the DVDs to, 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 to uh, interpolate in HD, so it's great. But we are going back to the mid early 90s to talk about Terry Hulk Hogan and uh, Thunder in Paradise. So hold on to your seats. This is... This is Baywatch, this is Airwolf, this is Miami Vice, all rolled into one, but more importantly, almost entirely filmed at Walt Disney World. That's right, that's really the hook here. Because while the show is not, I mean, I'm not going to say it's a bad show, but I'm not going to say it's a great show. Well, it's it's a it's a tribute to, you know, in the genre of like B movie action mm-hmm. show. I mean, that's what it mm-hmm. is. It's it's a family friendly action comedy. It, so, show. so let, and let me throw this in there: if you watch the Sci Fi Channel movies today, not not as ridiculous as Sharknado, but along the same lines. I mean, Sci Fi churns them out every couple of weeks. There's another, yep. you know, silly instead of Hallmark Christmas movies, they do these silly action sci-fi disaster movies and that's exactly what this you know this is the precursor to those current genres The premise is very similar to, you know, your TJ Hookers, your Magnum PIs, your your A-teams, uh, the two helicopter ones. What was it? Uh, Airwolf. 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 Yeah. And what was the other one? There was Blue another. Thunder? Blue Thunder. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 So this was Knight the, like, Rider. Knight Rider. Knight Rider. All these independent crime fighter dudes that you never watched, never saw them get paid, but they always had some device that would, you know, was better than everybody else and would come in and... and 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 bust through. So well, there were definitely f- things on television that during this time period that worked, and yeah. that you know. So and this is true even going back to shows you know from the sixties like Batman and stuff. It's like oh, yeah. you got to have you know you, you have a very masculine you know action oriented take take charge leader. Yep. You you have a you know a comedic sidekick. This is very much like our show. Actually, now that I think about it, <laughs> I'm, I think I might be the comedic sidekick. I'm not sure. You, you have the comedic sidekick. You know, you have a love interest, and you know, and and potentially you know some I, other. I'm s- I'm the millionaire financier. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, he's going to save the podcast. And you got to have a cool vehicle. Yep. You know, like you said, either the Batmobile or the Knight yeah. Rider or but th- some. There's always the millionaire behind us. Bruce Wayne or oh, yeah, Jonathan, yeah. Jonathan Higgins or the, uh, whoever, the, uh, Devin who Miles and Knight Rider. Charlie. Charlie and Charlie's. There's always the, right. the, the, the millionaire billionaire. So it's, fun, it's a formula that has worked formula. for years and years and years. And it doesn't right. go anywhere. And then in this case, you know, beautiful locations, uh, girls in bikinis. The world's most famous wrestler. <laughs> Yep, the world's yeah. far right. Wrestling, I mean, on paper, this show should have been a smash hit. It has right. all of the elements of, like, middle-of-the-road television, right. you know. Very Baywatch level, too. Well, it's That's... funny you mention right. that, because the producers of the show also produced Baywatch. Yeah, right. so. There you go. So, that's where a lot. So, now, how you mentioned something about family-friendly, and, you know, as you mentioned, too, there was a lot of scantily clad men and women in this. There was a lot of... 
you know, gratuitous slow motion shots of people on beaches and bronze bodies. And it's funny, local WFTS Channel 28, I think that's in your area, actually. It is, it is. That's uh, our yeah. ABC affiliate. Beginning this week, at that point, at that time, it was a Fox affiliate, would only carry Thunder on Monday nights at 10 after the primetime kids hour. Which yeah. is so funny because they, they intended the show to run at the 8 o'clock. Some, and some stations did indeed yeah. run at 8 o'clock and some decided it was a little too risque. Um, and there is a there is a fair amount of 19, late 80s, early 90s uh, skin. I mean, there's no, no doubt. Um, so... I, he, that's part of the appeal, I think. Well, I mean, yeah. and that is one of the interesting things about the show. It's like, I don't know if it ever quite... F- because it was trying to appeal to you know, obviously teen and older wrestling fans, as well as a younger audience. It's very confusing is like, what is that target audience? To be sensitive to the fact that we are a single gender uh, on on our podcast. uh, Part of the appeal of Baywatch was the ladies were watching it for David Hasselhoff and the yes. other guys with their shirts off. And yep. this 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 show in the same line has plenty for the ladies. <laughs> right. You know, no matter which gender you're there to look at, uh, yep. you know, on the beach, there's there's plenty for both of you. That's true because you had not only you had a ton of wrestling stars, which right. were in very yeah, good condition. There are a lot of shirts off scenes yeah. and yeah. muscles popping and out. Even, and even Chris Lemon, comedian, like he yeah. worked out for this role. Yes. So yep. So let's rewind yeah. before we get into action. Let's let's talk about this. So it was it was this is what I found was interesting and how mentioning the when it was on television. It ran on when we get to the TV portion. It ran on a lot of side stations. It wasn't it was but it was initially picked up. And by side station, I mean your small WWORs out of New your York independence. Your, yeah, 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 your independent station. It was, well, it was well, a syndicated show. Yeah. yeah, we could talk about that. And so, but before that, yeah. I find it interesting. So CBS originally partnered up with a Italian company called uh, Berlusconi Ritalia Productions and ordered a $2 million movie along with CBS. And uh, they were the world's largest foreign distributor. And they pre-sold uh, 13 episodes of Thunder in Europe first, which is really, really interesting. And then uh, CBS had 30 days after the movie to commit to the same 13 episodes. Uh, so this is going back to or it's probably about what, 1990, maybe 91, 92. Probably 91, now. yeah. Yeah. So on the kind of the way the business works, for those of you that have never studied any of this, uh, and this works to the same, kind of the same way as film. It's like there aren't a lot of cases nowadays where, you know, a, a show gets completely made and then they go take it out to market. You know, as a production company, the producers of Baywatch would have been out saying like, hey, we have we have this new show that we're working on and here's the stars and here's about how much it's going to cost to make. And they would have before they even shot a single frame of film, they would have gone out to try to get a deal um, to finance it and and get it made. And that's exactly where this is coming from, Todd. So, you know, they were able to secure distribution, you know, through Europe and potentially on CBS. Now, the CBS deal fell through. They actually never ran it on on CBS, um, right? But but they were able, you know, to to pre sell this into Europe, and that's how they knew, like, okay, we got a thing. We can we can actually make this into a a full show because someone was willing well, to pay for at least part of it. And they already knew that Germans love David Hasselhoff, right? Watch, right. So so they've yeah. got <laughs> they, they knew they had an audience. Yep, for sure. So that's that's what kind of made it happen. 
Um, so, so I'll talk about kind of how the show got started a little bit and we'll, we'll talk about, uh, who was in it and kind of the premise just to kind of set this up. So that way we can talk about all the locations and stuff. So, um, I happen to have, you know, you mentioned this was, was big in Europe. Um, I I happen to have this book called the official thunder in paradise annual, which, which was, uh, printed in England. Well, actually it was printed in, I think Italy, uh, Printed in Italy and but published in London for all the all the fans in the UK. So hello, all UK fans. Uh, it, it is a and I guess they did this with a lot of television shows. You see a lot of these annuals. So it's a a forty six page hardcover book uh, with pictures and information about the cast and stuff. And and I'll just I'll read the description because I think they do a very good job. Thunder in Paradise is the hottest all action adventure series on TV. Starring Terry Hulk Hogan, Chris Lemon, Kara Alt, and Patrick Patrick McNee, and Ashley Gorell. An hour of unrivaled excitement follows this fine cast through the thrills and spills of dangerous missions and adventures set in the most exotic locations. <laughs> I, so I, I also want to mention that Todd talked about the original production partner was Berlusconi in, in Italy, which uh, that's Silvio Berlusconi. That was his media empire. Uh-huh. Before he sold all that and moved in full time into politics, where he was the longest serving Italian prime minister on and off. So, oh, that's, yeah, that, that's, that's 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 the that's the background on that, which this seems like exactly the kind of show that Silvio Berlusconi would yes, want to bring actually, to the rest of Europe. <laughs> yes. Now that you mentioned it. So uh, so the premise is uh, so Chris Lemon plays Martin Brew Brewbaker, a fellow ex-Navy SEAL of uh, R.J. Hurricane Spencer, who is Hulk Hogan's character. And that's where their short names come from, Brew and Spence. Yes. So Spence and Brew created a high-tech supercharged gunboat prototype uh, named Thunder to support as a support vehicle for Navy SEAL operations around the world. But the Navy ended up not buying it. So they... Basically, let's have this boat, which it, it's Night Rider in a boat. Yeah. And that's what it is. It's Night Rider in a boat. Night Rider in a boat. We so said they, this formula earlier, right? Yeah. So they are free to kind of, you know, ply the waters of whatever they have access to, <laughs> I guess, in the, the Caribbean mostly and up and down the, the coast of the Atlantic. Well, right. Because, because Hulk Hogan is based his life in Tampa, St. Pete, Clearwater area. That's where he lives. That's where him and a lot of the people that appear in the show live. Uh, production was based there. That was part of the deal. Yep. And and, and I'll uh, and I'll talk about that. Yeah. So so so, you know. so basically, you know, Hulk Hogan, uh, and I'll, we'll get into a little bio on some of the actors. But he was traveling the wrestling circuit for years, and he was really looking for an opportunity to move into film so he could spend more times with the wife and his kids because his kids were like between the ages of two and six at the time that the that the this. Um, this stuff was shot so he was looking to do something you know that could keep him closer to home or maybe only go out you know for a month or two and do a movie and then come back home so he didn't have to be on the the touring circuit all year long he was pursued by douglas shorts michael burke and gregory j bonan who were the producers who made baywatch an enormous success so hogan basically convinced him to try to center the production of the film in florida uh, and once that happened, he signed on and his executive producer. So he became a full production partner and put his own money into making this happen. Um, they spent $2 million to shoot a two-hour pilot episode in the Tampa Bay area. 
Um, but after that movie wrapped, um, they moved the production of the show to the Disney M- uh, Disney MGM Studios. Uh, and the brilliant thing was th- that crew seized the opportunity to not only use the sound stages there, but the entire 43 square miles of Walt Disney World property for shooting locations. Um, the show had a million dollar per episode budget, which was pretty significant. Yeah. Um, they, they used a crew of 155, most, mostly Florida local talent. Um, and, and they used every, you know, department and every aspect at Disney MGM. You know, they rented their cameras. They did the editing in their post-production facilities. They did the computer graphics at, at uh, the post group who, who had their, their post-production stuff there. So they were all they... the things the backstage studio tour told right. you that they could do. And I have a quote here from Laura Nillen. She was the director of television and film development at Disney MGM. And she says, this is the first group that's come in and made use of all that we've had to offer. And when I read that, I was like, you know what? It's true because they didn't just use, as we're going to talk about, Disney MGM Studios. Everything that Walt Disney World could offer was, was used. Everything. And when everything. You would take... Except Small World. We didn't. We did not get a Tomorrowland <laughs> Transit in, in Small World. And when you would take the backstage studio tour, there were times when... You could actually see, you know, production of the show going on. They shot on the sound stages. Um, you know, I remember one time going through, and the um, the Foley stage was opened up, and they have they would have little signs on LED lights that would show you what what was being done at the time, and they were doing Foley for Thunder and Paradise there. So, you know, it really tied in well with the tours and things because uh, you got to you really got to see stuff being made. I mean, they dug a. They dug a water tank <laughs> out that you would drive by on the Backlot Studio Tour for for one of the things, and and they they used the heck out of out of everything they could there, and I mean to the point of uh, almost ridiculousness, which I know Todd will get into. Yeah, but uh, they did a great job. So um, as Todd said, the show was picked up first by European distributor. CBS was interested, but ended up passing on the series. Um, but the show ultimately debuted in forty five countries. And through syndication, reached 88% of the U.S. television market. So uh, it really did have a, a wide uh, distribution. And I think it was perhaps more popular in Europe than it was here. Um, they had expected the show to run somewhere between five and seven years based on the success of Baywatch. But it actually only ran for one season uh, for 22 episodes. Uh, so it, I guess it just didn't really have enough of a pull in the U.S., but... What a, what a delightful 22 episodes we got out of it. <laughs> well, one of the, you know, we love these uh, souvenir videos that Disney put out uh, periodically, the a day at Epcot Center and stuff like that they would update from time to time. Uh, and this TV show really is like a time capsule capturing of the parks and the environments. Yeah. And it was so much fun to watch a few of them and spend spot places and be like oh oh, i know where that is like it's it's a great party game of not only oh, yeah. on stage but backstage stuff yes too. It, you know and the one scene i was talking about there in one of the first episodes where they're running between the morocco pavilion and the indiana jones set <laughs> and it's just i mean it all meshes fine i know well that's bananas that those things aren't near each other but, but you, you know what this Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, it's just in in the context of you know movie making or filmmaking or television production, it it works perfectly. And it's like, oh, this it makes does. perfect sense. And you know what makes it so hard for all of us to watch it or go, oh my gosh, it's so unbelievable. 
we we know the place inside now. This is like going on the news, watching your news at night and going, oh my gosh, they're standing in front of the 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 Seven Eleven down the street or the the Wawa. Like I know that place. It looks so familiar because it is familiar. You do know it. Um, so knowing it just makes it feel that much more wrong because you know what it is <laughs> and, and what it isn't, right? Yeah. So I think the average viewer that may not have been to Disney World that did not have that um, may not have may have seen the the, the the series a lot differently. Which begs the question: I said I read somewhere in these articles that we picked up that there was just like, oh, it's great for tourism. I'm thinking, oh, okay, but there's only a quick thing at the end that says you know shot outside at walt disney world so it was never implied that these were attractions uh except for one episode which we'll talk about where it was clearly implied there was attraction but um you know what i'm saying it just it just i found that quote kind of kind of interesting so. yeah it, it was a wonderful showcase for everything that was there yep um for sure so i'll give you just a i won't talk about all the cast but i'll just give you a couple of a quick overviews of who the important people were that were in it just so you have some context as as we do this um so the main character rj hurricane spencer was played by hulk hogan who was born terry balea uh he was the undisputed star of wwf wrestling in the 1980s winning the heavyweight championship title from the iron sheik in 1984 and he kicked off a frenzy of popularity with american kids known as hulkamania um now does anybody remember the four demandments of hulkamania say your prayers yes eat your vitamins eat your vitamins yep i don't remember the other ones uh drink not drink your milk <laughs> no be sure and drink your ovaltine <laughs> train Train, train, okay. train and believe or tra- yes believe in yourself believe in yourself yeah. yeah so i'm i know i'm gonna make a poster actually we should make a poster and offer this in the store because this is important um, <laughs> um so in a few short years he rode the wave of wwf's integration into mainstream popular culture appearing regularly on mtv hosting saturday night live and he served as the main protagonist of a CBS Saturday morning cartoon series, Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling. I watched it every week. <laughs> Do you remember that? I watched. Yep. I was too old to watch it, and I watched it because <laughs> yeah. it was the best thing on in its time slot. Um, now, although Hulk appeared in the live action segments on the show as himself, in the animated segments, he was actually voiced by Brad Garrett, who would later become famous on Everyone Loves Raymond. So, how about that? How about that? Um, Hogan transitioned to film, starting with the role of Thunderlips in Rocky III. Yep. Uh, and he cemented his persona as a tough guy who loves kids in the family action comedies Suburban Commando and Mr. Nanny. Um, it was a very natural move for him to continue to pursue roles where he could continue to build on that reputation. And uh, as he relocated back to Tampa Bay, um, filming Thunder in Paradise really did that it, it really was an extension of kind of that good guy hero character that that he had been right from the beginning um while he was filming uh thunder in paradise at disney mgm he was actually approached by ted turner's world championship wrestling who was also using the studio's f- production facilities to shoot um their matches and um they ended up inking a deal and in 1994 uh, Hulk Hogan had a parade at Disney MGM commemorating his signing of a multi-year contract with uh, the WCW, which brought him back into the ring. So I th- thought that was interesting that there was a little coalition of of him and, and wrestling and other stuff going on there. Um, he was given a customized Hulkified 1994 Dodge Viper to ride in the parade. 
What does Hulkified mean? What, what so, is it? yellow and red? So it was yellow and red with his logo in his colors, and that's like theme. when the Viper first came out. So it was a big deal. Oh, yeah, okay. and he's he's big into Vipers. He's got quite a he's had quite a few. Of and oh, okay. that that car was on display at his uh, facility, like his uh, beach place. Uh, he's got a shop right on uh, Clearwater yeah. Beach, right across from um, the Hilton in Clearwater Beach, Hogan's Beach Shop. And, yeah. So in 2020, it was auctioned to raise money for charity. Uh, so seventy five thousand dollars went to charity for that, but uh, and thus ends the legacy. But and he went on, of course, to do other things. There's the NWO and all kinds of other. But that's kind of how he got uh, to Florida and at Disney MGM to do that work. I'd I'd like to add that his handprints at MGM Studios uh, were stamped November 9th, nineteen ninety three. All right. Oh, there we go. So we probably we know when his star day appearance was then. Yes. Um, for sure. Go. Lots of star days for him. It sounds like he had the signing day, the parade, the Viper, the, the all he sorts was of stuff I, and, the, and then I know, uh, Brian, I think I sent you a slide to scan of him on a motorcycle uh, as <laughs> as part of the collection. So we'll have to make sure we get that out there. Um, now, the character of Martin Brew, Brewbaker, was played by Chris Lemon, the son of Jack Lemon, who yes. I, I know our host now. I don't know if everybody else knows. One of my favorite actors. Yeah, great, great actor. The Apartment, is that his... The apartment, but but you, our, our modern or more more modern listeners, uh, might know him more from like uh, my fellow Americans, which is him and James Garner as uh, presidents of opposite parties who have both been voted out of office. And is he grumpy uh, old man. He is in Grumpy Old Men with yep. Walter Matthau and Grumpier Old Man and all. And those. What's the one where he uh, dresses as a woman? Some like it hot. Some like it hot. There it is. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's a very classic comedy. Yeah, that's the one I've. So okay, so his son Chris yes. Chris made his movie debut in 1977, starring with his father in Airport 77. Um, oh. He appeared in a variety of comedies through the 70s, 80s, including The Happy Hooker Goes to Hollywood, um, two Goldie Hawn films, Seems Like Old Times and Swing Shift, which was perhaps best known for reuniting uh, Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell. And that's where they began their romance after they met on the set of the one and only genuine originally family band. Um, and what I assume is one of the favorite shows of some of our hosts, Cannonball Run 2. Oh, there it is. Yes. Big fan. <laughs> and now now, now that you mention it, now I remember that he's in it. Yeah. Um, Lemon's career skyrocketed in 1987 when he was cast as yuppie patio furniture businessman Richard Phillips on the then-new Fox Network show Duet. I don't know if you guys remember. Uh, duets. I do remember watching Duets. That. Yeah, it had the good fortune of being sandwiched between Married with Children, its Gary Shandling show, and the Tracy Ellman show on Sunday nights. So it was oh, right hot, in a hot big... Hot for their yeah. time. I, mm-hmm. And the funny... So I'm going to give a little Duets uh, trivia or, or aside here. Uh, when the Fox network started, which was the first time a, a new network was starting beyond ABC, NBC, and CBS uh, on in syndication, uh, which was around 85, 86, I think is when it started. The Simpsons was part of that. Uh, they were a bumper originally on the Tracy Ullman show, and they got their own show. But uh, at the mall, you know, as they do uh, viral promotions back in the 80s, at the mall, there was a table of posters you could take. And for some reason, I had a poster for the show Duets in, in my basement for like two years that hung on the wall. I never, I, I, I don't want to say I never watched the show. I watched a couple episodes, but it was on for a few seasons. Yeah. Um, it was actually on for three seasons. There you go. And then uh, the focus of the show was changed to focus on Lemon's character's wife, played by Allison Laplacia. And the name of the show was changed to Open House. 
And a little side note about that is I remember watching, I liked Duet and I liked Open House as well. Uh, that show introduced television audiences to Ellen DeGeneres, mm-hmm. who played a man-hungry secretary in her real estate office, which which was really interesting. So, um, so that's how Chris kind of got to... Is that before or after she traveled back in time to look for a dinosaur? <laughs> well, <laughs> I guess it's both before and after, <laughs> since it's time travel. Um, Kelly LaRue, played by Carol Alt. Um, the character was the manager and the bartender of the Scuttlebutt Beach Bar at the Paradise Beach Hotel. A t-shirt there, how? Which is yeah, which <laughs> which is the uh, what the Grand Floridian stood in for was the Paradise Beach Hotel. Yeah. At, at least in our ver- in in the pilot episode, you'll see it's the Don Cesar Hotel. Yeah, I'm gonna jump through some of those. Yeah, changes. but but it's the uh, it's uh, the Grand Floridian in ours. All right, um, I'm gonna jump in here because. Okay. When we share clips or or photos of this, you you stand there and your head explodes that Disney has not built this bar because who does <laughs> who doesn't want to sit in a tiki bar on the beach? Yeah, between the Polynesian and the Grand Floridian in the background, like like I realize the wedding pavilions there now and the DVC buildings there now, but this absolutely should have been part of the DVC building when they built it. Was putting yeah. this bar out on the beach area. That could have like, been a private DVC function. Uh, oh, just man. like th- 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 they'd be up all night. Like, yeah, it's it's an amazing location. You're looking at the. I I, I really had some FOMO watching them drink at this beach. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Carol Alt found huge fame in '82 when she was selected as the cover model for Sports Illustrated's famous swimsuit issue. Through the 80s, she appeared in over 500 magazine covers, and she was the face of ad campaigns for Pepsi, GM, and CoverGirl makeup. Um, she was cast uh, by Bob Fosse in a West Coast revival of Sweet Charity, uh, then got an opportunity to act in Italian-produced English language films, which I wonder if there's any connection there with the later, uh, the people that that, uh, that bought uh, Thunder in Paradise, uh, which she then parlayed into a Hollywood career. So that's, that's how Carol Alt... So whenever I hear the name Carol Alt, what I remember <clears throat> is that she married a member of the New York Rangers... Uh, who are the rivals of our hockey team, the Philadelphia Flyers. And the Flyers fans used to, uh, Ron Greshner, the guy that she married, uh, they would taunt them, uh, you know, for being Hollywood and into supermodels and, you know, not blue collar working class like hockey players are supposed to be. That was like, a, that was a thing back in the 80s. Was That's funny. Taunting uh, the Rangers. Yeah. One of the things that I think, uh, I don't know how many people know this, but it was very smart is, she was actually the first um, model to kind of control her poster business. So back in the 70s and 80s, one of the things that you would see all the time with like Farrah Fawcett yeah. and other Hollywood stars is they would, you know, you would be able to go to Spencer Gifts or Kmart or whatever and buy a poster of, of someone in a bikini or bathing suit or whatever and put them up on your wall. Well, she actually controlled the publishing of that and she did it all of herself. So I'm sure that was very profitable for her back then. Uh, being a supermodel. Uh, and, and the last person that we'll talk about is Patrick McNee, who played Edward Whitaker, the owner of the Paradise Island Hotel. Uh, no stranger to action, uh, McNee found fame playing secret agent Jonathan Steed in the 1960s British spy thriller The Avengers, that, that television show. Um, he also appeared in numerous small roles in TV and film through the 70s and 80s, including Magnum P.I., Heart to Heart, Murder, She Wrote, and The Love Boat, of course, because who didn't go on the love boat 
Everybody. Um, he had a very small but memorable part in the James Bond film of You Do a Kill. If you remember that, he's right. meets up with uh, Roger Moore's character. Um, uh, and he was the voice of Imperious Leader in the original version of the science fiction television series Battlestar Galactica. Oh. Oh. Uh, and he also did the voiceover at the beginning that sets up the story about the lost tribes and trying to find Earth. Um, but but my favorite of his roles, um, though very brief, was as Sir Dennis Ettenhog, the owner of Polymer Records in This Is Spinal Tap. <laughs> Pol- Polymer Records. Yeah, so he's been all over the place. So there, there are other side characters, a daughter played by Ash- Ashley Gorell and Friends, but that kind of, I think for our purposes tonight, yeah. we'll, we'll kind of give you enough of who's who as, as so as we describe this, uh, you, you kind of have an idea who the people are. Yeah, and Ashley, she was a young actor at the time, and she went on to do some other acting too. She's, uh, they said on the set she was she was a little powerhouse. She uh, knew her lines and did, knocked her, knocked them out of the park and was one take Gorel. That's what they ex- called her. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so that's true. It's true. So, gentlemen, we're now going to jump into the episodes, and we're going to talk about how the episodes turned into movies. So we will start uh, back in episode one and two, which were aptly named. Can you guess, JT? Part one and part two? You're right. Thunder in Paradise, part one and part two. We did not get to exciting names yet, which we'll talk about in a little bit. So, how is, as, as Parker mentioned, this was really the, it was, and we've mentioned, this was the pilot. This was to see if it could work. Um, it was filmed at the Don Cesar in St. Pete, Florida. I've stayed there. Nice, great place. I had a lot of, a lot of nice time there. Beautiful old hotel built yeah, early beautiful. 1900s. Yep. Nice clean pool good restaurants so we had a nice time and they were still excited at this time for doing a five-year run maybe seven they were thinking that this was going to go places um and uh, apparently the uh, owner of the hotel squawked and balked at a at a full 22 episode uh filming on on their property so they decided this is when they decided to pick up and move the remainder of the 22 episodes over to walt disney world now I want to go through some of these titles are funny and, and, and kind of interesting. And we're going to kind of walk through so that if you have access to the episodes or uh, you're interested in buying them from a illegal pirate site that apparently will take 20 or two of your hard earned dollars and possibly return you a copy of DVDs. Um, there are a few of them that are out there uh, on, online as well, but you can kind of go through and see these and we might put a little video together of, of the highlights as well. So, uh, people have access. So um, a lot of the episode titles were very tongue-in-cheek, metaphoric, play on words. Uh, for instance, you know, we have Strange Brew, but that's brew as in the character. Uh, or the Gettysburg Change of Address or Plunder in Paradise. I mean, they were... And then you got to the really boring ones like Deadly Lessons Part 1. Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just didn't... It was kind of weird. Um once they started filming at Walt Disney World, there was really one main portion of the, you know, of Walt Disney World that stood out in all but the first two episodes we just talked about, the pilot and uh, number 16, Endangered Species, which was, gentlemen, the Grand Floridian. The Grand Floridian. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Right. That's where the bar is. That's where everything exactly. is. Exactly. Now, what's interesting, if, you're, if, you, if you like Grand Floridian stuff, uh, like I said, almost every episode except 16 you can see exterior shots. And what's really is interesting is that in, in three and four, Tug of War and Sea Quintin, which we're going to talk about in a minute because it's one of the best episodes ever, I think, 
Um, they were actually went inside and did some interior shots. Uh, they, and, uh, we also found in five, they went into Victorian Alberts as well. Um, I was able to trace it back, um, to what Victorian Albert looks like today and see how it looked like back then. And they, they certainly changed some things around. So, um, so from a hotel perspective, um, you're always going to see the Grand Floridian. It was always at the Scuttlebutt, uh, a lot of outdoor beach scenes. There's one with the, the giant, um, what was it called? Truckosaurus or something? Truckosaurus or something. Yeah, that was, an, <laughs> that was hilarious. Comes out of the beach. But um, but let's go through a couple of these and uh, that we what we'll talk about here. Yeah. So Now, the amazing thing about shooting in front of the Grand Floridian was, you know, they're just having dialogue or maybe there's a fight going on. Yeah. And while this is happening, you know, the ferry boats are passing... <laughs> On the Seven Seas Lagoon behind them, you'll see monorails on the berm going by. And yeah. none of this is acknowledged in the show. It's just no. all this stuff is happening because they, they didn't just did stop. Paradise. They didn't yeah. stop any of the Walt Disney World stuff during the course of this. It was all right. just going on business as usual. And they were very creative with the the angles. Um, mm-hmm. For most part, you really didn't see a lot. But if you look carefully, there's the contemporary behind some trees and a monorail beam. And, and like you said, you know, there might be a water sprite out in the distance and people looking. So... Uh, it, it, was, it was kind of interesting. So I want to start with episode um, four, C. Quentin. So you get that? C. Quinn, C. Quentin. See, it's, everyone is like C. this. Yes. Yeah. Do people know C. San Quentin is a prison anymore? I don't know. I don't think they do. I mean, I do. But well, they know yeah. Johnny Cash sang there, right? Did he sing <laughs> no. Did he? he sang at all the prisons. Yeah. <laughs> So this is one of the best ones because it takes place almost entirely at the Living Seas in the original Sea Base Alpha, which is a underwater prison to the point where the hydrolators are the actual prison cells with the doors open, mind you. I, there must be some special beam that keeps the prisoners. But the, there's this great pan between multiple cells and the guys are just in the cells, i.e. and the hydrolators just laying on the floor like poor souls sitting in there. So... Um, That's awesome. But we see what well, a Hulk goes up into the, uh, the the lockout chamber. They bring the uh, the prisoner down through the lockout chamber. Um, we also go to the top of the aquarium, and and the dolphin keyboard is actually in a couple shots. And um, I think there there's a there is a a spot where I believe it's in the Living Seas Lounge too, when Hulk is talking to his millionaire buddy or somebody. I forget. Um, it does look like. Uh, he doubles his office on a different location. Or... <laughs> exactly. It's his undersea layer. Yeah. So, which was great. Um, and we also get a little taste of Living Seas in Strange Brew Episode 5, where that's where Victorian Alberts comes into play, and they actually go inside a Grand Floridian room. So, And I'll tell the story that was told to me, and I, I'm sorry, I can't remember who it was who told me, but uh, today, if you're down in Living Seas, if you go towards sort of the main viewing window, there is a little alcove with a half cylindrical window that looks out into the the main habitat and there's a distortion in that window and the reason that distortion is there is because while they were filming the episode they had a hot light set up there and it actually melted the acrylic window oh my gosh uh, to the point where it distorts the view out of it so to this day if you walk over to that window you can actually see where it's been melted uh and distorts the light and this is on the lower level this is on the lower level yeah oh that's hilarious that's hilarious and they did use that you know that area uh where you go into and you you kind of go around it's got that circular mm-hmm. end to it at the living seas they use that a lot in this in this episode there was a lot shot there which was which was really cool 
So I have to say this episode just, you know, and I, I've watched it a few times. I just kind of refresh myself. I think it's hilarious that to get to see Quentin, you come down the lockout chamber with like a little, you know, air tube oh, yeah, to your mouth. And it's like they lower them down through this tube and then the warden stand there and he does this like, you know, tough guy drain it and then they lower the water <laughs> and then that's now you're in jail like it's just i mean it's if, just drop i mean but jt filled with water those criminals are so dangerous the they only are. safe place is to put them underwater, underwater. yeah i mean it makes perfect sense if you with can't no put barriers the, on their cell but that's you know, fine. right had mission space been open who knows maybe <laughs> maybe they would have been in a space one but that's right it's right. just so good these just two guys just come they're like weighted and they just start lowering That's down right. unless they played it in reverse and they were floating i don't know yeah. but i love the audacity you know somebody from that production company went around to every park yes. and they just wrote stuff down they're like sea base all right let's do something with that that's right <laughs> and they wrote an episode around it yeah they literally would write episodes around locations it is a very interesting part of the film industry too there's a, a twitter handle i follow um he's just a location scout and I was like, that'd be such an interesting job. You know, we need a vintage looking barn that's, you know, or anything. But the, the, basically, I'm sure they said, I need you to do this at Disney World. Be a location scout and just figure out everything that is usable here. Yep. And, yeah. and, and that's that's interesting to think about. It Was this done being that it was like a movie set? Did you go to Disney like we do for events and say, okay, I want to know where I can film things. And they, in the early 90s had a, a directory of things you could use or was it just a open i would floor bet plan? that there was probably somebody attached to that production who worked for disney who went around and basically generated a list of like here's everything we got and like yeah. here's the times it's available here's the you know just because it's they yeah you've got some undersea ability you could do this here moroccan look you know all that stuff mm-hmm. so yeah so that's a if you're going to watch any of them that and you're a living seas fan that that's that's mm-hmm. where you start is is, is sequented. So um, now the next one uh, I want to talk about. Now this is this is another one that they put together. We'll talk about how they put these together a little later. But it's sealed with a kismet, part one and part two. And I believe uh, Brian, you watched this one. I believe this is the Moroccan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's it's something. I mean, it's, it's something. Uh, there's a. Um bahamian type uh uh future seer Mm -hmm. and a magic uh headdress uh made of roses from the woods that look like they're just outside the grand floridian there like the where the parking lot is and uh the the a sheik who's not really a sheik comes (laughs) and uh takes the woman carol alt uh to i assume morocco for real or some Middle oh, Eastern. I, I, I think it was a fake named country. It, w- oh, was, it was, but my point will be that after um, uh, Hulk Hogan and Chris Lemon uh, get the, she has a little receiver they give her before she goes off with this sheik to to marry him, only to discover that she's supposed to. He's basically pimping her out. As uh, as booty to settle a dispute with El Gigante. El Gigante was this uh, really tall basketball player who got drafted by Ted Turner's uh, Atlanta organization, but injured his knee before he could ever play a game. So Ted Turner said, why don't you come wrestle for me? And the natural extension of that was he then became an actor as well and appeared in several things. Passed away in 2004, but... 
he was an enormous guy. And so he appears in the show several times. Uh, but in this particular show, he's like a competing sheik who the, uh, the sheik that woos her owed money to. So in order to forgive his debts, he's giving her Carol Alt. But right before she goes, Chris Lemon gives her like a Radio Shack walkie-talkie and said, and said this is an incredible range. This is a communicator. If you're ever in trouble, just talk into it and tell us. So in in St. Pete, Florida, or Orlando, or wherever you want to say the show is set, uh, Carol Walt gets into trouble somewhere in the Middle East and pushes this button and says, help. The message just gets out before El Gigante crushes it in his hand the receiver and uh hulk hogan and chris lemon spring into action now they take this speedboat from florida and at what appears to be according to house specs 500 miles an hour <laughs> now you can do the math on how well, they, long they, it would take they, that that boat at 500 miles an hour to, it's like a seven eight thousand mile trip yeah, yeah they had say, they had a term for it too. Hold on, I've got it here. They the boat could do what they called hyperspeed. Hyperspeed, yeah. yeah. Hyperspeed. hyperspeed, and it was just like uh, 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 what's the button turbo turbo pursuit that they had on, Night <laughs> which Rider. was just <laughs> making <laughs> go from thirty frames per second to yeah. sixty frames yes. per second in the film. <laughs> so we need some math people on our on our listeners. Okay, at two hundred and forty five gallons in the gas tank. <laughs> <laughs> How many times would it have to refuel? Figure out That's how many they, miles they stopped in the Azores, you know. They, <laughs> I, but no, I mean they just they hold ass and they get over there. They they save her, all of which is set in the Moroccan pavilion. So. Uh, you know, inside the, um, the 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 courtyard that's in the one room. They even go the to restaurant Marrakesh, too. They do. They're in Marrakesh, yep. uh, inside, outside Morocco. And then when Hulk Hogan and them finally get there and there's like a gunfight, they're firing machine guns from the top of the Moroccan pavilion. And then all of a sudden he's running and I'm like, where is that? <laughs> and I realized they had moved to the Indiana Jones uh, yes. stunt adventure set. And so the sh- shots actually are interspersed. Some you're right. in the more Indiana village Jones looking. One. The Indiana well, Jones. Well, they are the same basic uh, yeah. um, environment. Uh, but at the one point, I'm watching Hulk Hogan and Chris Lemon standing on top of this spire, and Carol Alt slides down like a zip line, and then El Gigante shoots the zip line to, to to break it so that they can't slide down. And I'm like, where is that? And that's when I realized they're in the, the like the tower at the and at the Indiana a, Jones thing. I mean, they literally used the stunts from the stunt right. show. Yes. I mean, yes. Yeah, they the didn't change anything. Thing. Even the yeah, Marion zipline. Yes. Well, even the explosion at the end, right? Even yeah. the explosion yep. at the end. Did they keep was, the Nazi plane? No. Again, <laughs> no they, why they why would you change anything? Your production budget's already covered by Disney. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and this goes back to what I was saying earlier, right? It's the average Joe and Josephine did not know the difference no. between Morocco. It, it, it all just looks like yeah, and, some and outpost. It, and it, it blends well. It does. Except for us. We, we have a hard time with it. Spoiler alert. If you plan to watch these, you can stop listening now because I'm going to tell you how the episode resolves. They save her. They hop back in the boat, put it at 500 miles an hour, and drive that boat all the way from the Middle East back to Florida. Yep. <laughs> Well, hey, I mean, wouldn't you? Yeah, <laughs> I'd get the hell out of there. They got yeah. a microwave in there. Hulk Hogan can make himself rice. Right. Uh, he makes himself yeah. rice in, in the show and in, in the boat. Um, uh, so the amazing thing is, you know, the boat is in World Chase, World Showcase Lagoon and yes. pulls right up. This is before the restaurants were built there. Yes. Right. It pulls right up 
to the side. So they they had to put that boat on a trailer and move it somewhere where it could get onto a waterway. And it just so happens that there's a world uh, friendship boat dock right there. So it works out, you know. Just change the rotation a little bit that day. It's a beautiful thing. Now, there's another episode um, called Blast Off. Uh, they they put some space. Oh, we're, we're going to get it. there in a second. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hold on. That's, to that that's one. one of my favorite. Yeah. Hookins we to have to Disney get to World. the next one, which this is one that that Hal bought up because it's called Changing of the Guard, and it was a uh, uh, there were two films and uh, two episodes that featured uh, some uh, British characters, and this was one of them. And the best shot is that they show a low shot of the Magic Kingdom Castle, Cinderella's Castle, without showing any of the turrets. And it just says London, England on it, <laughs> which is great. It's like, no, not really. Um, but in this one, it's interesting. They, they utilize the UK pavilion in Epcot. Um, and uh, there might be some living seas. I was, it was really hard to tell, but it probably is. Well, well then the, the Canadian pavilion. The Canadian p- pavilion. Yes. That's doubles. a different episode. Oh, that's a different episode. That's sorry. A di- oh, yeah. Sorry, 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 sorry. Don't want to jump in. How I spent a lot of time on okay, this. Okay, good, good, good. This one actually is at the Lake Buena Vista Shopping Village. There's a shot with the daughter and I believe Carol Alt outside of the Empress Lily. Mm, and sure. they and they're you know they're at I don't know what the heck they're doing there, but I uh, think they're riverboat shopping. gambling trip. <laughs> exactly, they're on the Mississippi. <laughs> so, um, so the next couple ones, a Gettysburg change of address, which is the probably the weirdest of them all. If you have a chance <laughs> to watch this one, for some reason, a Brew and Spence wind up out in the deep woods and they meet up with a Gettysburg reenactment group. Um, I did not sit through the whole thing. I just kind of fast forward it. There's some shots at the future location of the wedding pavilion. So they just kind of move the scuttlebutt around. Um, episode 10, distant shadow of thunder. You're only going to see the grand Floridian in there. <laughs> you want to um, talk about people who are willing to work for 50 bucks a day yeah. and cut your production costs. Civil war reenactors are at the top of the list. <laughs> they probably, they literally had a list like what's the cheapest things we can do. That's oh, right. A Civil War troop we can get for five grand a day. We'll get like 150 yep. guys. So uh, episode 11, Nature of the Beast. Um, this one is interesting. I am I am 90% sure that the greenhouses are the land greenhouses. There's a couple shots at the beginning of the Hulk and uh, Brew in there, and it, it, it definitely looks like that. Um, uh, episode 12, Identity Crisis. Um, a lot of shots in the Polynesian grounds, uh, in the walkways, Carol Alt has some heart to heart conversation with another actress. Um, and you know, and she's having relationship troubles or something and a lot of, uh, Polynesian bench shots. So if you're a fan of green foliage, the pebbled walkway and, uh, po- the metal Polynesian benches, you're back gonna, when there used to be benches to sit on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, 13 is Queen of Hearts. We go back into a Grand Floridian room. Um, and then we get to 14, which is Plunder in Paradise. Now, this is this is going to excite some fans. There is a good portion of it that is filmed. It's supposedly supposed to be some rich person's mansion or, or uh, maybe secret lair. And it's actually the Adventurers Club. Ah. So, yeah, one of the things that they use there, how was the falling organ trick, you know, um, Spence reaches or brew, whichever I can't remember. Jack Lemon's character reaches and pulls a book off the shelf, and the the organ comes comes crashing. crashing oh, nice! Down. So, eye for an eye, number fifteen. Not a lot going on there. Your Grand Floridian, but a scene was used in the DV, 
DVD release of the original Thunder in Paradise. So this is where it's going to get really confusing. So we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, okay, Endangered Species. We're back at the Living Seas, gentlemen, um, and no Grand Floridian. And what do you think we're looking at the Grand Flor- uh, at, the, at the Living Seas this time around? What, what do we what do we, what do we miss the first time? Manatees. Correct, the manatees. We are looking at the manatees. And then we've got uh, a nice fight in Residential Street at Disney MGM Studios backlot, and <laughs> some action going on in the street. So beautiful. Deadly Lessons Part 1 and 2. This is the one you were talking about. How This is where we go to Discovery Island, the Living Seas, and Canada. It's an outpost for the, for the bad guys. Oh, nice. Shot from every possible angle because that is not a big area. Oh, oh, yes. Well, there's two in the Canadian. There's one where I think they're talking to the queen and she's in the Rose Garden. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's the gardens at. But yes, in this one, they actually do use the the uh, the rocks and the little mountain outside of the Circle Vision 360 as a compound. And it's so funny to see these guys <laughs> dressed up in full army outfits carrying guns around the Canadian pavilion. It's it's just <laughs> hilarious. Can you imagine those extras just having to like walk out and get a drink or something and out, you know, like there's men with guns. Yeah. Oh. Funny stuff. Very funny stuff. All right. So we got a couple more here. Um, all right. This one's great. JT, you mentioned this one earlier. 19 blast off. Yes. This definitely very rocket. And what do you guys think you could possibly use at Disney to represent some sort of missile silo? uh oh wasn't this the one um the cat the casting or the yes the team disney building because of (laughs) its round tube (laughs) so they're up on the top battling and fighting each other uh and the culmination uh or or earlier on sorry at the the team building and they're up there and so if you want some great roof shots and looking off into orlando in the in the distance it's pretty funny you left out the best part of blast off though is they just without even trying they're in the middle of the episode hulk hogan just just takes his daughter to magic magic kingdom exactly and there's a fit it's a fantastic shot of hulk hogan with the daughter on the shoulders he's walking down the ramp next to the magic kingdom and there's people stopping and taking pictures and looking at him and pointing and looking like yeah. oh hulk just hulk hogan just went by me oh my god well he did a joke on the phone he's at the bar and he's sitting there on the it's not a rotary but it looks like a rotary he's on the phone you know and no for cell phones and he said some joke like, "What do I look like, Mickey Mouse?" And then he, then they cut to him going something like, "I get to take my daughter to Disney World." And I'm like, "Wait, they just said Disney. What's like breaking the fourth?" Well, ball? this is yeah, yeah. They're gonna about to break it even further. So he's going to the Magic Kingdom, or I'm sorry, London, England, right? Yeah, <laughs> is that the case? Mm-hmm. Um, they go on Dumbo. They go on the carousel. They're in front of the castle. Um, and they're on Splash Mountain, and they've. This is a great scene. Yeah, the this guy, is this is fantastic. It's it's rolling by the car, one of the uh, the spots where almost you can almost touch the people. Yeah, and the guy Brew jumps right in, like yeah. he just you know breaks all theme park protocol. But how did he get there? The- Thunder comes pulling up the rivers of America, and you can see yes. Tom Sawyer Allen in the background, and they just have shots of just patrons of walt disney world just visitors looking and pointing that they took from the camera and he hops out and then he runs over and jumps over the fence and jumps into the boat at the bottom of splash mountain and says something and then obviously they decide they've got to go off and save the world i I just want to like a blanket call out i don't care i I would it would be featured on the site if we can get real footage or real pictures of that boat in the river (laughs) that day like somebody had to be there and like 
honey, let's go do Tom Sawyer Island. I remember it. It was so cool from a couple of years ago. Then they walk up and there's a, a 43-foot scarab sitting there. It says <laughs> right. thunder on the side. Like, boy, they must have rehabbed or refurbed or something there. Yep. Episode 20, Dead Reckoning. Uh, there's some living, se- a little bit of living season there, but... The MGM bungalows. There's a whole scene shot outside the bungalows. Well, why wouldn't you? They're probably the production crew was working out right there. Right, <laughs> Look, right there. Get in costume. Go outside. We got five minutes. We'll get this whole scene done. There's a show. That's a show. It's right done. There. Right. Yeah. Bungalows. It was a real quick portion of it. The bungalow um, show. The bungalow show. And then the last two episodes for major and minor part one and part two. Um, part one takes place in the backlock streets of New York. Um, the future location, the wedding pavilion. And this is where we get to get some other places we haven't been before. We take a trip to Japan. So we've taken the boat across the world <laughs> to the Far this East. Boat goes everywhere. Yep. And uh, we also are in the the shark tank at Typhoon Lagoon. We're, we're diving into the shark uh, tank. Nice. Yes. Now that's gone now, right? Is that right? Is the shark that's tank gone? Goes? Yeah, it was all, right, all so filled great. in. So yeah. we have good documentation of that thanks to, yep. Yep. Thanks to this show. Uh, and in part two... Um, there's a, we go back to the Japan Pavilion and Typhoon Lagoon, and there's a lot of mixed shots back and forth between the two. But we have a fight again. Now, we already had a fight at the top of the uh, Team Disney building. We're now fighting at the top of the wave machine. And you can see into the wave machine a couple of the shots on top of uh, Typhoon Lagoon. There's then additional fights on the bridges, and then we end up in Japan, and um, he's reunited with his daughter, and they're at the, uh, the red Japanese gate. Uh, and they somehow were able to block out Spaceship Earth in that. Like oh, Terry's, nice. Terry's body, I think, blocks the whole thing. So. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I, in that episode, uh, when the soldier, there's the soldier called Major, which yeah, stands right, for the major and the minor. morphizing acronyllatular JPS particle organic replica, because that really just rolls wow. off the tongue. There's a section where he's having a VR fight, and it's all on, the, in, on New York Street uh, it, at Disney MGM. So he's walking down the center of New York Street, like sh- shooting at stuff, which, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, a, a couple you may have mistaught, and uh, I, I, pro- I ran out of time this week, but I'm going to go back through the. Todd has done a great job putting up a spreadsheet of like all the locations that he could find. I'm going to go. Yeah, through. I just zip through them as we're get, we're going to publish an article because I know there's a couple of articles that are out there that list some of the locations. I want to have the most complete record of the locations possible. The um, definitive guide. Yeah, because in um, the episode where you're, where the rich guy has the house that's in the Adventurers Club, mm-hmm. he also happens to own a water park uh, on the same island that they use Typhoon Lagoon at. So there's <laughs> a ton of shots of Typhoon Lagoon there. Um, there. There is an episode, and I don't remember which one, where um, there are some guys up on this, they they roll in in the boat, and there are some guys standing on this odd platform shooting them with machine guns, and that was done at the dry docks, the ferry boat dry dock. Oh um, yeah, yeah. So so that's that's a weird one because you never usually get to see that. Um, but it's it's just fascinating how they picked and choose. Like there's one scene, I think it's in the. I can't remember if it's sealed with the Kismet or if it's in another one where Hulk Hogan is on Discovery Island and he's walking through the flamingo habitat on <laughs> Discovery Island. Uh, and the flamingos are, I don't know, partially a little upset, but not totally. <laughs> um, but it's just amazing how they just used the heck out of everything there. Yeah. I mean, any anything and everything they possibly could. They 
they shot there. If it was vaguely interesting, it's like they made a big deal out of it. So, and we got like I said, we got to give them credit. If if you weren't a fan of Walt Disney World and you didn't know what it was, you you probably would not have picked up on it unless you had been there a number nope. of times. Um, I I remember watching it with my dad, and we watched it with the point of trying to figure out where everything was. <laughs> um, so it was it was a, it was a lot of a lot of fun to do that. So. Um, so one other item of note here. Um, so Thunder and Paradise, uh, part one and part two, that's episodes one and two, were bound together without commercial breaks. And then they added a scene from 15, episode 15 in the beginning, just to make it full movie length. It has nothing to do with the rest of the plot. So it's a really weird opening. Mm. And that was released as the official movie later on of Thunder and Paradise. They then released Thunder and Paradise with Roman numerals two, which was sealed with a kismet part one and part two. And then they released thunder and paradise three, not numer- Roman numerals three, just the number three, because why? why? Because uh, of deadly lessons, part one and part two. And then they use major and minor part one and part two for the thunder and paradise interactive CD ROM game, um, which there's a trailer on YouTube for that. If you're so inclined to, to, I'm to go trying to think, that. was that a special machine? The, Phillips I want to say it was Sega, uh, but I, I could be wrong. I don't. I, I'd have to go look it up. Okay. I, I think, think it was. A, I think it was a Phillips. Unless there was a the Phillips ones that released released it, but yeah. So they turned the episode into kind of like a choose your own adventure. Yeah. Interactive CD, so you could kind of play through and make choices. So I don't know if they shot extra footage. Additional footage. This is on Wikipedia. Additional footage was filmed for the use of different stages in the game. This game exclusive footage was shot at the same time. As the episode itself. Oh, okay. So there, there was go. one. Perfect. It was Perfect. a CDI, a compact disc interactive yeah, Phillips, yeah. by Philips or it says Philips and Sony. But Okay. They do. Those know. do occasionally come up on eBay still from time to time. There so you go. So if you've got a hankering to, to help brew and Spence out, you can. Well, who would? I mean, really, really. I mean. So we'll definitely uh, we'll definitely save, you know, as Hal said, we'll publish this spreadsheet. He's going to go through and, and fill it all out. Um, now we do have all the episodes in our possession. Um, obviously we don't want to release those all out there. That's, that's, you know, a lot of copyrighted material here, but, um, we're going to peruse through these and, and figure out as much information and uh, that we can get out for, for everybody. Yeah. We'll take screenshots. That's fair yep. use and, and put them with the location so you can see it and enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, I think Brian had a good idea to kind of edit, edit all the little bit of clips together. Um, and then we could kind of walk everybody through it at some point as well. So it should be fun. Um, the last that, time that I want to point could be out a retro magic segment. there. Yeah, there. that's true. That's true. Yeah. We could hold that back if we get Terry. So, um, the last item I wanted to mention too, is, uh, how we should probably talk a little bit about the theme song that's going to play us out here. Yes. Uh, what an amazing coincidence this turned out to be. How, how is, how, how did we not know this beforehand, but I, tell the listeners. I, well, you know, we are, we are fans of, of a particular group, uh, because of their involvement on television specials. Uh, and, and as it turns out that one of the, the keyboardists, I believe it is from the band Pablo Cruz, uh, after, you know, the band, well, I guess not after the band broke up, but like as a side thing, he started doing television show soundtracks and, and movie soundtracks and writing and composing, uh, music for films and TV. And he, he ended up, I think he did a bunch of stuff on Baywatch and he ended up writing a lot of the music for Thunder in Paradise he wrote the theme song for Thunder in Paradise 
and Pablo Cruz recorded it. But there, I mean, how about that? It's like, it's come full circle from Pablo Cruz performing on Discovery Island to them writing a song that would be played over footage of, you know, Hulk Hogan in in front of Discovery Island. So it's, it's a small world, isn't it? It is. It is. So we know this is not our normal episode, that it's not something that you could ever see in Walt Disney World, but I know we definitely had to do this. This is 2020, so the rules don't matter. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> anything goes in 2020. Whatever you want to do. Whatever you want to do. But yeah, it's it's definitely a piece of history, and I, I think uh, a lot of you guys out there will be, will be certainly interested to see these clips and uh, things that will work to get those together for you. But it's a hoot no matter no matter what. Um, and again, my take on it is, as I said before, if it, we live it, we know the place very, very well. So it, it's it's difficult to watch in, in light of it being a, a movie. It's very hard not to watch it without picking out. Yeah. Um, Turn it into a drinking stuff. game or whatever oh, yeah. type of, you know, other activity uh, that you'd like to do. But, you know, I, I encourage you find a couple of the of the very rich episodes that we talked about that have lots of stuff. Yep. Hunt it down somewhere. Put it on. Don't expect a lot, but you will have a ball pointing at the screen, going like, "Oh my god, I know what that is!" Exactly. exactly. Yeah. And the, the 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 DVD set is still available out there. You can you can purchase it. And again, it, it comes with six episodes total. The first two being the pilot. That's all at the Don Cesar. But um, you know, you'll get at least uh, another four hours of enjoyment out of uh, oh Bruin for sure. Spence. And just, you'll probably be hooked to see more. Just the just the episode. It's not an expensive DVD. Just the episodes shot in Morocco are worth it because it's they really use as like, they use as much as they could have of that pavilion. And there's shots from all kinds of angles. There's a shot where like somebody steps on Hulk Hogan's face. So then they do a shot from his perspective looking and, up. In and you'll, the, s- you'll see them going in and out of doors that you're like, I didn't think that door ever really opened. Like I thought that was a fake door. <laughs> Somehow they made it out of there. So, a lot of stuff. Yeah, it's it's stuff. very entertaining in a ironic way. Yeah. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode uh, taking us back to the Thunder in Paradise. So, how uh, we mentioned earlier, you can do Scuttlebutt. You got a couple ideas for we Thunder? Do, we got to do a couple of we got to do a couple of t-shirts for this. So, yeah. and I'm sure all one of you will be interested in buying them, but I darn it, I'm going to make them anyways. That's right. That's right. And you did add did we add some things since last month? I believe can't remember if we did did we do we probably let me see if i can remember what it was hold on let me go i'm going to it right now oh yeah you added med med okay yeah so and last month how you added uh we have three alien encounter shirts oh right 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 for our alien encounter so you have an encounter episode yeah you had megatech uh doubt is the rust of a feeble mind and <laughs> i've and i've been seized yes so, so make megatech for those of you who didn't pick up on the episode in the early concept art that was the logo for the the company that would become excess technologies so uh so that's that's where that comes from so that that is actually a reproduction of of the kind of crude logo that appeared in the very early concept art uh for that so that's a real inside inside uh super deep cut there All right, so be on the lookout for, for more on those. If you want to check out all of our merchandise, you can go to retrowdw.com forward slash support us. All right, so with that, I think, gentlemen, we're about to wrap this up. We will be back next month. I know we have a couple different topics cooking uh, in, in our channels here and things that we feel like we're going to take on in the upcoming months. So 
definitely be back next month. We appreciate everybody uh, listening to us. If you can, give us a shout-out on iTunes if possible. And uh, we'll be back next month with another episode. And uh, with that, keep listening. And Brian, take us out. Follow the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society on Twitter and Instagram at LBV History and on the web at lbvhistory.org. Follow Todd McCartney and Retro WDW on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Retro WDW. For all things Retro Disney World, including exclusive merchandise, visit us on the web at RetroWDW.com. On Twitter, follow our web designer, Jason Bartell of Deepwater Studios, at JasonDWS. Our announcer, Andre Gardner, at Andre Gardner. And follow our hosts, Hal Bowers, on Twitter and Instagram, at GoAwayGreen, and on the web at KingdomOfMemories.com. For JT Couser on Twitter, at LS1JT, on YouTube at Rubber City Motoring, and on the web at RubberCityMotoring.com. And you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at Brian P. Miles. Retro Disney World is the monthly podcast of the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society, a nonprofit, nonpartisan, tax-exempt 501c3 organization, and is not affiliated in any way with the Walt Disney Corporation or any of its subsidiary or affiliated entities. Mm-hmm.